You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. Today we begin a brand new series in the book of James. We're going to be studying James for uh, the next five weeks. There are some scripture journals in the lobby after the service. I want to invite you, if you don't have one, it's this really wonderful little uh, booklet that we have provided for you with the, the readings on the left-hand side of the page and notepaper on the right-hand side of the page. And I want to invite you, take one of these home, read it, study it, be, begin your time of contemplation of the scriptures, even with, Lord, I know you want to speak to me. Speak. Let me hear your voice. Friends, when you open yourself up to the word of God like this, amazing things happen. Like truly God's word is alive and active and it starts to meddle in our lives and bring about such interesting and beautiful fruit. I want to invite you as we study together to to join us in that practice as well, along with being here on Sunday and hearing uh, from the study on James. Well, this, this study on James is called Live Whole, a life planted in divine soil. And what we're going to do um, in, this, in this study is ask the question, what does it look like to have a whole human life? And what is the vision that Jesus brings to us about what that life looks like? What does it look like to have a life that is planted in divine soil? Not the soil of the lives maybe of our past, not the soil of the lives that maybe we even think we want. But Christians are people who say, Jesus, we want to be planted in you. So what does a life look like planted in Jesus, the word of God? Now, we don't know for sure um, who this James was that wrote James. I'll just say that up front. But because honestly, it was a very common name in the first century. So there's like some debate about this, about this. But there's very, very strong evidence and a very good chance, and most biblical scholarship would agree with this, that this letter was written probably by the best known James in the early church. James, the brother of Jesus. You know this James. This was the James that we don't hear a lot about James. Not like Peter and Paul who were off evangelizing the world and planting churches. James, this brother of Jesus, was the one who stayed put, shepherding and pastoring the church in Jerusalem. So he didn't have the exotic job, but he had this really beautiful job, this calling to stay put in Jerusalem, the epicenter of where it all went down. And all of these new Christians, these new believers, James was this pastoral figure this apostle in Jerusalem. And this letter, if you read that, if you read this letter with that understanding, you can hear James' very pastoral tone, his, his touch, his care. Unlike some of the other authors in the Bible, James even has, you know, some criticism in, in church history of being a little too soft, being a little too concerned about um, the fruit of people's lives or things like that. But if we put James in context and know his ministry setting and the fact that he's writing this pastoral letter, kind of broadly, they call it like kind of a Catholic letter because it is according to the whole written to the churches of Christ. In verse one, it shows us this, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, the dispersion being the scattered church, the 12 tribes being kind of this image, this metaphor for those churches are now what constitutes the people of God, like the 12 tribes of Israel now scattered in exile in the dispersion. 
In this pastoral letter written to those people, if there's some setting for you, he wants to teach, he wants to shepherd, he wants to encourage, he wants to strengthen Christians, those new believers, to be able to plant their feet in a different kind of soil, to persevere and to bear fruit, even in situations like this in verse two, when even when you meet trials, it's easy to be a Christian when everything's easy, but he's writing to us in verse two, what does it look like to bear a godly life to follow Jesus when we meet trials of various kinds, he says. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be, listen, perfect and complete, lacking nothing. This is the heart of his message, his whole letter. Jesus' people aren't called to just survive life's storms. We're not called to just stomach financial woes and stress that we have. We're not called to just barely make it. We're not called to just escape the nastiness of temptation barely. We're not called to just barely make it through these tough conditions, these trials of various kinds. Listen, Christians, people of Jesus are called to a greater life, a greater work, a life that actually makes a difference, a life that counts, a life that is purposed, that has an effect in neighborhoods and in relationships and in the workplace, a life that doesn't just survive, but a life that actually thrives and blossoms and bears fruit. This is the life that Jesus calls us to. Whether that is through a very unnoticed faithfulness in someone's life, who prays when no one sees, who labors serving others when no one recognizes, Maybe someone who, when it's unnoticed, offers gentleness and a hospitality that is beautiful, but no one really kind of notices. Maybe it's a life raising children and wiping butts and doing all kinds of really tough work. Even in those kinds of trials, can a life in Jesus bear fruit? Yeah. Can you thrive in, even in an unnoticed, often unappreciated life? Yeah, you can. Or maybe for others, it's a life of, of speaking and acting in more visible ways as a Christian. In all aspects of life, in all of its challenges, in all of its circumstances, wherever God has planted our lives, James tells us that our lives are to be nurtured to fullness in Jesus, to be whole, to be complete and perfect. Our lives are like gardens, picture this. It's like a garden planted in divine soil is our life. And in this life, we are tended to by a great gardener that wherever we find ourselves, whatever job we have, whatever vocation we have, whatever trials we face, the great gardener leans over to us and cultivates our life into wholeness, wherever you are. This is the theme that shoots straight through all of James's letter, wholeness that whole life wherever you find yourself. It's a life that is marked by patience and wisdom and faith and generosity. We can all have this kind of life. We can all bear this kind of fruit if we're willing to participate, if we're willing to cooperate with the work of God, he will cultivate in our lives these Jesus qualities in us. 
This, I think, is the best way to approach James, to bear ourselves open to this pastoral letter that our lives would look like Jesus, to bear that kind of fruit. I want to, we don't usually do this. I want to take a moment of silence as we jump into James, hearing his invitation, hearing kind of the the setting and hearing his theme of what he's after here. I want to offer some silence and invite God to cultivate the soil of our lives as we study James together. Would you take a moment of silence with me and I'll pray for us. Our Father, we know that you are here, attentive to us and our needs. You see our life and everything in it. Would you cultivate us? Would you help us bring to you those areas that need your care? And would you bring about wholeness that we would bear fruit that resembles your son, Jesus? not only for your glory, but also for the sake of others. All this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So here we go. Major holdup, I think, if we're gonna be honest, let's just be real for a second. This is like really great intention and we're there. But a major holdup for so many of us in approaching a study like this and even opening ourselves up like just like we just did, a major obstacle for so many of us is an incorrect view of God, that what we just did is like a dangerous thing to do because it's a thing to do because if you know God the way I know God, you're opening yourself up to judgment and like some harsh treatment and some really tough truths and like, man, he's going to mess things up in my life. Amen. No, not amen. If for some of you opening yourself up to God, this is super tough because... Um, we don't think we can actually be present with him until we deal with our doubt or until we deal with our sin. Like we're actually keeping ourselves away from God. And so I can't even enter into James, John, let alone let God cultivate things in my life because I've got sin and this just isn't gonna work. That God somehow keeps us away because we're not quite all together yet. And to both of those idols, those, both of those false views of God, and by the way, you can read the Bible and back those views of God up as as much as you you could find that. But if you read the scriptures in all of its entirety, you see a God in a much bigger picture who's so eager and willing to come near to you and to cultivate your life. That's not who God is. God is not some stingy, super angry, judgmental, can't wait to point out your problems kind of God. Well, what kind of God is he? James kicks this off in verse 17. Listen, let's take on this true view of God that we can actually be present to his work in our life. Listen, verse 17 says this. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. James defines God, did you hear this? Did you hear this? James defines God in a completely generous way, a full of goodness, light, stability, consistency, kindness kind of way. And check this out, this so generous God, he has willed you to be. He wants you to exist. 
He has brought you about intentionally, not by accident, but he wants you to be here. He wants you to be. And not only that, he wants you to be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This exotic thing from a distant land marked by the goodness of God. He wants you to be that herald of the kindness and goodness and generosity of God. He wants our lives to look like this. That's who God is. He's not stingy, he's generous. He's not mad at you. He willed you to be. And he's so happy that you are. Your life, friends, is the result of divine intention and goodwill. Can I say that again? I feel like we need, I need to hear this. Your life is the result of divine intention and goodwill. Your life is meant to be planted with divine intention and goodwill in this soil that brings about heavenly fruit, the kind of fruit that only comes from a God who is scandalously generous and kind. Amen? Isn't that right? The word of truth, we notice this in, the, in verse 17 and 18. The word of truth is this clear echo of Isaiah 40. And it doesn't wither, it's this word that doesn't wither or fade, but stands forever. If you read, go back and read Isaiah 40, you'll see a lot of those echoes even in the first chapter of James here. This word of truth is the gospel of Jesus, which is the message that continues to cause our lives to blossom if we're really honest about this. This is the word of truth. It's the message of Jesus. And it's precisely this word of truth, this message of Jesus that is implanted in us, this news that has become flesh in us and brings fruit like Jesus, this word implanted in us. And not only is it a, a message about someone named Jesus and a, a good news for us to hear, but it is also Jesus himself, this word of truth, the divine intention of God becoming flesh and blood and existing in the human timeline with like teeth and hair and a name and an ethnicity. This is the word of truth that has set our feet on totally different territory now. He's invited us to himself has been implanted in our own lives and now brings about an exotic new fruit from a future land where the goodness of God is brought to completion. In us, we now see these new creation seedlings starting to sprout in our hearts and in our minds and in our imaginations when that word of truth is planted in us. And if we cooperate, this word of truth, this seedling that is Christ begins to blossom and bear fruit in not in super spiritual ways we would think uh, like we can levitate no not like that but super plain ways this word of truth begins to bear fruit listen to verse 19 let every person be quick to hear slow to speak slow to anger this is the fruit of the word of god the word of truth planted in us do you hear this let every person be quick to hear Slow to speak, slow to anger. Verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. In other words, the gospel of Jesus planted on the inside of us bears gospel of Jesus fruit on the outside of us. Does that make sense? 
the word of truth that is internal to us, the word of truth that has accessed and saved and rescued and redeemed our souls from death and sin and darkness and chaos, that word of truth that has redeemed us on the inside now bears fruit on the outside. But unfortunately, that's often not the only seed implanted in us, right? It's like not the only thing at work bringing fruit in our lives. Maybe there are seeds sometime in your life where someone has said something about who you are that has become a seed and has bore fruit of insecurity or fear or rejection. A broken view of yourself. Maybe there are other seeds in your life that you even water now. Seeds of sin, temptation, brokenness that we, the gardeners, tend to and want to bring fruit to. And how inconsistent, that's not who we are. That's not who Christ has called us to be. That's far from what Jesus is doing in our lives. James urges us, would you please, church, would you put aside those other seeds, those other voices, those other things that have been planted in you that are beginning to grow, those things you planted in yourself, would you put those aside and receive the implanted word of truth the truth that comes from God who knows who you really are. A God through who, through his son Jesus, is determined to rescue your life even now and renovate your life even now. Would you receive that word of truth? Can we step into reality together for a second here and receive that Jesus is the truth and that his message that the kingdom is at hand and God is making all things new, repent, Turn away from those seeds of evil and sin and believe in the gospel, this word that's being planted in us. If, friends, you can do that, if you can respond to this message of truth, if you can respond to Jesus saying, yes, I'm done with that, I want to believe in you, then that word of truth is implanted in you and will bring about a whole new creation, as Paul says. I love the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases verse 20. It's so vivid, listen to this. In simple humility, let our gardener God landscape you with the word, making a salvation garden of your life. Man, Eugene, he's so good. Isn't that beautiful? The word is not just good information about Jesus and his death on the cross for your sin. It involves that. But the word is Jesus himself personally attentive and present to your needs always, even when you screw things up, even when you don't feel like Jesus is present, he's present always. Your life is planted in this divine soil. He is the one who has made this even possible. He is the one who's offered his life as a sacrifice for your life. He sends his spirit that causes our life to bear fruit. How silly or how hypocritical, whatever word you want to use, would it be to come before the mirror of the gospel and and then totally walk away and forget what we've seen, forget who we are in Christ, and then go start to live some other way. How silly that would be. If you want to know what true religion is, if you want to know what it looks like to really be a Christian, to set aside your life in holiness and obedience to God, if you want to know what that really looks like, look at the people who are visiting orphans and widows in their affliction and keep themselves unstained from the world. 
That's how you notice it. But what you notice in that beautiful life, that true religion, that's just the outward fruit. There's something inward that has to happen in us for that to become a natural reality, right? You can go and care for orphans and widows. We can read this and go like, I've got this down, Stephen. I visited four orphans this week. I'm a Christian. That's not the way this works. No, what James is saying is, if you wanna see the people of God who have set aside their lives for obedience in Jesus, they're the ones who have that implanted word in their life and their, their life bears salvation. And you know what it looks like? It looks very plain. It looks like visiting orphans and widows in their affliction. It looks like staying away, keeping themselves unstained and untainted by the sin of the world. That's what that life, that life looks like. Friends, the word that we're talking about this morning is not an intellectual word. It is not, Sean had a good point about this. I'm gonna like tuck that away and really like work on that. That's fine. That's good. Let's do that as well. But as much, there's much better news. The word of God, the word of truth that is planted in us every week is not only the preaching of the gospel of Jesus, that he has died for our sin, raised to new life, overcoming sin and welcoming us into his life, sending us his spirit. It's not only that, but it's also the word that we consume when we come to the altar that is literally implanted in us in Holy Eucharist, consuming the body of Christ. The Eucharist is this word of truth that we consume, that in so doing, we are consumed into the life of God and transformed by this presence of God. This is who we are. We're adopted into his life and our lives are set free to live holy lives, to bear the kind of fruit that James is describing. We're set free to do that. Not as hypocrites, not as people who get all of their outward behavior in order, but their inward lives are totally disgusting and rotten and foul. No, this inward work begins inside of us. It's planted in us and transforms to the outside. So what has the word that is planted in you not renovated in your life? What are those areas that you have not cooperated with the word of truth that's been deposited in you? Is it your habits of anger, those ruts that you get into of greed? Is it disappointment, unmet hopes and expectations? Is it a deep sense of loss that you keep away from that word of truth? Is it loneliness, insecurities? What sin, what seed of sin in you does God even now invite you to confess that he might garden you back to health? Friends, it can happen this morning. God is attentive and willing to care for us if we would offer it to him. Let's take a moment of silence and invite the Holy Spirit to show us those areas of our garden that need his care this morning. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.